Hey guys, welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. Um, before we get into the Christopher Payne interview today, I actually wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. Uh, it's a really great tool when you need to send off those big files to your clients you're working with. Um, I've been using it for a few few weeks now and really enjoy it. It's let me kind of organize all my files in one spot. I can create custom galleries and different folders for various assignments I'm working on. And my clients can actually write notes on the photos I sent to them and rate them and like I said it's just really kind of helped me keep everything organized in one spot uh, for years I was just using like Dropbox and like we transfer and things like that um, but with PicDrop, um, they really had uh, photographers in mind when they designed it um, being that the people that designed it are actually photographers themselves so they really know what you need and I can't say enough about it and actually with today's podcast uh, if you use the promo code photobanter you're going to get three months free when you sign up at pickdrop.com. Um, so definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think. And remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER and you'll get three months free at pickdrop.com when you sign up. And without further ado, we'll get into the Christopher Payne interview here. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne. And on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Christopher Payne who specializes in photographing architecture and industry. In this interview, I speak to Christopher about how he went from a career in architecture to a career in photography, where he is now a regular contributor to the New York Times. I also speak to Christopher about his recently published special feature in the New York Times titled The Daily Miracle, where he spent over two years documenting the New York Times printing plant in College Point, Queens. I've been following Christopher's work for a little while now, and his attention to detail is truly amazing, so I was excited to get a chance to speak with him, so I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, uh, Christopher Payne, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for taking time to do this, man. Thank you. Uh, been a big fan of your work. I've been following it, um, some of the cool projects you've been doing for the New York Times, so excited to talk to you. Um, but I guess to start off, I was kind of curious, like, where you grew up and um, what are kind of your earliest memories of photography? I uh, grew up in, in Boston, uh, in Cambridge and Dorchester, and my father was an amateur photographer. Mm. But um, other than what he showed me, uh, photography really wasn't on my mind until uh, after grad school in, 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 my, in my 20s mm. when I was working as an architect. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I didn't. I don't have any formal training. It was all. I was all self-taught. I had a couple of uh, of, of mentors who uh, coached me along the way, but there was uh, similarities. A lot of similarities between architecture and photography. So it was a it was a relatively easy transition for me. Interesting. What are kind of some of the similarities uh, you think? Well, you know, uh, architecture is part of architecture. What you learn in school is how to express ideas on a sheet of paper in two dimensions, whether it's a, a set of plans, um, a, a section through a, through a building or a, a three-dimensional rendering. Mm -hmm. And photography is really the same thing. And a lot of times when I'm taking pictures, I, I picture myself making a sketch on paper. And this is, this is what I used to do. I, you know, I, I'd get a, get a shot in mind and then I, I'd kind of sketch it out on paper, sketch out, where the shadows were and how it, how it would fall into place compositionally. And, and so I, I still do that in my head and I kind of imagine the photograph as a, as a drawing. Yeah. That's kind of actually where I really enjoy about some of your photos, specifically like the detail shots you'll do of like, you did a whole project like on a pencil factory and like you did some close up detail shots of like stacks of pencil and they almost don't even look like photographs. They look like illustrations in a sense. So it's kind of interesting to hear you kind of say that. Exactly. And those, those ideas uh, that you're talking about specifically those, those details where you don't know if it's a photograph or a drawing that, that laying that out is very similar to um or the composition, I should say, is very similar to uh, an isometric or an ax axonometric drawing mm -hmm. in, in architecture where you show like three sides, like the two sides of a building and, and, and the plan, but in, in two dimensions. So you kind of flatten it out like a, like a, like a milk carton. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, when I see something, when I see patterns repeating like that, it's a good way to abstract something and turn it into something else. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And I guess to go back a bit, like you said, you studied architecture. Um, what kind of drew you into studying architecture? And like when you're going through that process, is it something you enjoyed? Uh, uh, I guess when you're kind of in that realm. Yeah, I I uh, I always grew up. You know, I grew up in Boston, and there's a lot of old old buildings there. And I used to just like to explore the city and and you know try to try to figure out like look at buildings and and i would ask myself where did this come from what did the city look like 50 years ago 100 years ago and at the same time i also liked exploring the subways boston has a very old subway system the oldest in the country and uh, i loved exploring abandoned tunnels and stations and, and back then it was really like uh you know like an archaeological hunt there was nothing online and so i had to piece together the history of these places through through old books and and annual reports and things like that. So I was always just very conscious of 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 my surroundings and environment and and I like to draw. And so going into architecture seemed like seemed like an obvious choice. But um, I think once I was there, I realized I was I was with a lot of very talented people. And and while that drove me to work harder, I also made me realize my own shortcomings and I realized that I wanted to, to make some, some really beautiful drawings because a lot of architecture is, is, you know, you do models and plans and things like that. And I think at least uh, when I was there, there was, um, wasn't as much emphasis on how you experience a space. And that's, that's only something, you know, you get with just, experience and time and mm -hmm. working in the profession. And I, I just thought that my drawings were, were sort of very sterile and, uh, and not very evocative, you know, not very like illustrative or, or, or painterly. They were, they were too technical. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I, 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 I just, and I was thinking about this the other day in, in advance of our talk, you know, what, what kind of pushed me into photography. And, and there was this, this illustrator named Hugh Ferris, who did these amazingly evocative drawings in the early 20th century mm. of, of architectural works, especially in and around New York City. And the buildings would be lit up at night and it'd be foggy and rainy and, and it's very theatrical. Yeah. And so I, I tried to sort of adopt that style with, with my drawing. And, um, and it was all done in, in, in graphite and, and charcoal. And, and it was just you know, it's just something you get, you do in school, you get, you attach, you latch onto something and you just want to emulate that. And, um, and so when I got out of school, I ended up doing a little bit of lighting design instead of going straight into an architecture firm. And I realized as, with, you know, as with these drawings that the whole thing with lighting is that it's, it's you just have to, you, you can't, you can't learn how to do it in a book. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you got to just play around with that. But I was still, I, and I worked in architecture for probably like 12 years oh, before wow. I made the, before I made the jump. Yeah. In 2008, there was a recession mm -hmm. and my, the firm I was working at closed yeah. and I, I just, I had no choice. Yeah. It's one thing I've always thought about architecture. It's like, if people aren't building anything, what are architects doing? It, it's almost, is there kind of some similarities to the art world where it's kind of like, it can be a lot of ups and downs in that uh, field, I guess. Absolutely. And it, you know, it depends on, on like what, what you specialize in. A lot of architects here in New York city, they, you know, if you're a small firm, you're doing residential work, renovations, mm. um, you know, family homes, that kind of thing. If you're you know, mid-sized firms, do more institutional work and the big commercial firms will do work all over the world. And are, you know, are like, I think probably the, 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 the kinds of projects that everyone likes to work on are, are like maybe university projects or, or museums, yeah. big institutional works that, that might have large budgets and that are going to be creative, creative. Yeah. There's a lot like they need to be creative, but a lot of it is just, is just very, you know, it's tedious. It's mm -hmm. not, it's not, a, it's not the glamorous profession that, that people think. Yeah. Um, I was actually, I, I, my knowledge of architecture is very small, but I, 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 I know one guy, Louis Kahn. Uh, oh, Louis Kahn, yeah, sure. Have, have you ever photographed any of his buildings at all? I haven't, but, 
but he, Louis Kahn, taught where I went to grad school at Penn. Mm. And I had a professor who had worked for him. And so, you know, he was, he was revered because he was a Philadelphia architect and he did, he did a lot of stuff in that area. And I've always loved his work because it's, it's so simple and timeless. You know, he, 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 he was, uh, he used very elemental geometric forms that played with the light and and the materials he used were were very basic glass, wood, you know, brick, stone. And so you look at his buildings and I, I, I've heard this written or said somewhere else, but they're timeless in the sense that they they look like they could have been built thousands of years ago, and yet they also look modern. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a great compliment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's an amazing documentary. I think his son actually made about him called My Architect. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it, but it was pretty amazing. Like the guy was just like a complete workaholic. Like it, he had like a double life, pretty much. It was pretty wild. Yes. That's a, that's a great, that's a very moving documentary. Mm, yeah, definitely. And um, like you're saying, you kind of, you were working as an architect for 12 years or so. Um, was that like a tough transition to go from like, you're working as an architect and now you want to make this left turn into photography? Was that like a difficult decision for you or was it like easy or what do you remember back then? It, it was very difficult. I, I struggled with it for years, and and I I had already been doing, um, you know, I, I didn't get into photography thinking I want to be a photographer. I, I was I was working on on this book on um, on substations. These these you might call them power stations that that converted power mm-hmm. to be used by the subway system in New York City. And I was working on this book, and I was going to do this book of of drawings and and technical drawings, maps and historical photos and I was going to write the text and, and, and I got a, a friend of mine, uh, you know, who'd already photographed them. I said, can I use your photos and, and can you take more pictures for me? And, and he, he eventually couldn't do it. So I, I had to kind of fill in that role. And, um, and that's how I became a photographer by, by teaching myself uh, how to, how to take pictures for this book. Mm. And then once, you know, once the book came out, I was thinking, well, there's, you know, there's no turning back, but, the road to photography and this career change wasn't, you know, wasn't clear. And I, I thought for a long time, well, maybe I can do both. And everyone kept telling me if you're going to succeed at something, you have to do it like a hundred percent. And, and it, like you mentioned, you know, with, with Louis Kahn and, and all the great architects I've read about and people I've worked for and great photographers, like they are committed a hundred percent to their craft mm-hmm. and, they don't, they don't really focus on anything else. So it, it was a, it was a long transition. And, and I'll tell you the thing that I really struggled with was abandoning this career, which, which seemed to be safe and which I'd invested so much time and money in and, yeah. and a, a career that I always thought, well, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm going to go into and seeing my friends progress kind of up the ladder, you know, becoming associates or starting their own firms or, um, you know, becoming partners. And here I was, and I hadn't even like thought about taking my exams yet. And, and all I could think about was shooting on the weekends and, and working on my own projects. And, and I, 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 I kind of, I, I liken it to driving a car and taking your hands off the steering wheel <laughs> and, and the steering, you know, the car is kind of got to, it's going to go veer one way or the other. And that's like, I was like trying to drive myself down this straight line, this straight career path. Mm-hmm. But every time I like let my mind wander, it would always just veer off yep. towards photography. And, um, and so when the firm closed, I, I was working on, I was finishing up my book Asylum. So I already had like money to do that. And that was set to be published. So it was good timing. Mm. Um, I didn't have a lot of, in, I had no income come, you know, I wasn't generating any income, but I, I at least had a, a deadline that I needed to meet. And, uh, and that seemed like, you know, a, 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 a good time to just take the leap. No, that's awesome. I'm, I'm always just kind of interested in hearing how people kind of make those transitions because it is, if any career, it's tough, you know, because I think a lot of times, even myself, like change can be tough and sometimes change, you you can almost view it as failure, but I don't think it it is. It's just like, for me, I think I learned you kind of just have to go with your gut and what you think you're actually interested in, you know what I mean? 
Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I just took years. I struggled. I, I felt like I even interviewed for jobs, other architecture jobs when, you know, in, when, when I saw that my firm was closing and I, I, I kept thinking I could do both. And, mm-hmm. and, but whenever I was working at these jobs, I, I was just, all I could think about was getting out there and, and shooting. And, and, and especially because a lot of what I was seeing at the time were these buildings and, and places that were being destroyed and demolished. Yep. Like, like the substations, they were all being gutted and the old equipment was being taken out. And with the asylums, I, you know, they were being torn down. And, and so what, I, what I, I viewed the work I was doing was, was not just like, you know, honing my craft and, and trying to make something beautiful, but documenting uh, places that, that were, were not going to be existing much longer. Mm. And, and, and that just seemed to be far more important than working on some rich person's house. Yeah, for sure. And when you kind of made the decision to take your photography more seriously, um, did you kind of have a goal in mind? Because the interesting looking at your website, you kind of do a mix of like you shoot editorial. It looks like you'll do like some uh, commissions, but then you also do you publish books and do gallery stuff. When you first got into it, did you kind of have a goal in mind for the direction you kind of wanted to take your photography? Well, when I you know when I when I got laid off, I, I did know. I did know a lot of architects, but that, that doesn't mean that people were hiring me. And I, I, I knew that, that the, the clearest commercial path would be to become an architectural photographer where I, I would photograph buildings. And, and I, I did on, I'd assisted on shoots in, in that we would hire photographers to shoot the work, you know, the, of the firm. And, and I would see them working and I'd see them working with these four by five view cameras, you know, and, and I was, I was working with the four by five at that time too. And, and I'm watching these guys and I'm thinking like, this is really incredible what they're, you know, what they're doing. They're making our work look amazing. You know, and, and this is, this is just, you know, we had computers and internet, but they were still shooting on film. And, and so I, I, that was just like yet another bar, you know, that I set to meet, you know, to be able to do that, to work commercially on that level. Mm. And, and that was just something easy because then that was, you know, taking a picture of a building is like, it's, it's really very similar to doing a a rendering, like the kind of drawings we did in school. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the light, right, getting the the camera placement, right. And, and styling it and all that. And I, I I knew I could do that. It's, that's a very, yeah, that said, it's, it's been a tough, um, profession to to break into because nowadays anyone with a you know a decent camera and tilt shift lenses can can do that kind of work but but mm-hmm. back then you know 10 15 years ago um you all that work was done on a four by five so it, you know it's kind of like a, you know learning how to use a become a jedi knight i mean it was just it took years to be able to master that and and to be able to use that camera quickly on a shoot and, and know how to color balance and, and use gels and like uh, gel windows and things like that. I mean, you know, it's, it's so much easier now. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been, it's been tough to, um, you know, to, to break into that. Uh, and, but I've always liked doing, my goal was always to, to get editorial work, which aligned with my personal interests. And, and I've been very lucky with that, with the, the, you know, the times magazine. Yeah. And so, you know, so the editorial work I do, it's not just like, I don't just take any job that comes my way. I, I view every editorial job as, as something that, that not only aligns with my interests, but there's always going to be photos in those series that I do that, that could be put, you know, used in a book or in a gallery show. Yeah, so I was going to say, because the, 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 the few stories I've seen you've done for the New York, New York Times, like um, the one recently where you documented uh, the New York Times, uh, the plant where they print the actual paper, and then you did another one, I think it was like a pencil factory. I, I almost can't even tell, like, is this a personal project or is this like an editorial project? So the, it really just kind of blends the line. Like, I can't really tell. It's really uh, interesting how it, it all kind of looks, you know? Well, the, the, the pencil, the pencil project was, is my own mm. and, and I, I showed that to them and I, I always show them, I give them a first right of refusal yep. because they've been so good to me and, and they're one of the few publications that has such a, a huge audience and they, they have money and the means to send you around all over the world and to get you into places that, that you can't get into on your own. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, you can't bite the hand that feeds you. Um, and and working with editors on that level, I mean, they could they could work with anyone in the world. Yep. And to be chosen and featured like that is is just it's like the highest honor and, and validation because uh, the pencil project took um, that took five years to get into. Um, that's a whole story in and of itself. And then the, the printing plant, even with the magazine going to bat for me, that took two years. Uh, so that was a personal project. Wow. Uh, that, that I did a candy factory for them um, last this fall, which was very similar to what I would do. And, and they, they chose me to do that specifically because they, they, they like the style and, you know, and they know that, that I'm, I'm going to be able to go in there and, and, and hopefully get some great shots. Mm. Do you remember the first assignment you did for the New York Times? Um, did it kind of take you a while to kind of get your foot in the door there? How did that kind of all come together for you? I, uh, I, the first feature they did was, I think, back in uh, maybe like 2000, 2012 or 11. They, they, uh, they featured my Steinway project. I was shooting the Steinway factory at the yeah. time, which was the personal, you know, a personal passion of mine. And, uh, and my gallery, uh, the director knows the, the director of photography, um, and she just happened, you know, she showed him these photos and they, they loved it. And so they did, they did a little feature on it. Mm. And that just, I think that segued into, you know, some other smaller assignments. And then, and then they did my textile series when I was photographing textile factories. Yeah. Uh, they, they featured that. And, and the thing is, you know, with some of these editorial projects is that you might photograph something and it might not run. And they, they say, they, oh, we want to run this, you know, don't show it to anyone but then they may not run it for months. You know, uh, I did uh, one of the really fun assignments was shooting in the, air, the making of an Airbus plane in Alabama. And I followed one plane from start to finish. Oh, wow. And yeah, and that took like January to June. And so I would fly down to Alabama. I went down there like eight or nine times. And then I, I, I actually went up to Connecticut and I saw that the, end, the jet engines being made at Pratt and Whitney. And, um, <clears throat> and that was amazing, but then it didn't run for like 11 months. Damn. So, so it's like sitting. Yeah. And that is the it was tough. just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I want to show it to people, but you can't do anything with it. <laughs> I couldn't, you could, I couldn't show it to anyone. But the thing is, is that if they say they're going to do it, they are going to do it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, they, they've, uh, so you can't get too comfortable. Um, and, and my, my biggest regret is that when they say they're going to do something, a personal project, I always kick myself for not, for not getting more, mm -hmm. um, you know, beforehand, because once it's in, in like layout, it's like in this queue and you, you can't stop that. Like there's just, there are deadlines and, and they need stuff and, and you can't, you can't just insert things in the last minute. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's pretty amazing to hear that they kind of, uh, let you work on a project for that long because like most editorial this the budgets that most editorial magazines just don't have it it's just like one day shoots maybe a two-day shoot if you're lucky but it's pretty awesome you kind of get to work on these long-term projects and uh right. the one thing i was kind of curious you kind of mentioned it your steinway project which i believe you published a book uh what in two, 2016 um yes yeah yep how did that project so that was a personal project how did that kind of all come together for you what kind of inspired you to shoot that project well i i come from a family of musicians and and my, my grandmother was a was a piano teacher her whole life and uh my father was a musician in boston and my mother is still a music teacher so i i've been around music and pianos and classical music all my life but I don't play. Mm -hmm. And I remember touring the, uh, the Steinway factory in 2002. It was, you know, one of those open house tours. And I saw a couple of things that, that just really moved me. There was, there's, and, and those photos are in the book. Um, one of the, of the rims being bent into the shape of a piano. And, and, you know, in 20 minutes you have these, these long strips of maple that are just like, you know, inert boards and they get laminated and put in this press and then in a few hours they open up the press and, and there is the shape of a piano. And it's, it's, it's very moving because you realize this is the first step in creating this, like in creating some magical instrument. 
and you know right away what it is. And and then there's and then after that, all these rims get moved into this this drying room where they dry for I don't know several months or something um, to to take out all the moisture. And there are just rows of these things, and you can walk inside the piano rooms. And so I I was thinking about you know what I'd seen, and and I just it just, I wouldn't leave me, you know, and, uh, but I wasn't shooting industrial things at, at mm-hmm. that time. And I, I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it. It was nagging me. And, you know, anytime something stays on your mind for like eight years, <laughs> then, then you figure you need to do something about it. So, and amazingly, they, they kind of agreed to let me go in there and, and just, you know, I go there whenever I want and I could do whatever I want. And, um, and so that took, you know, on and off several years, but, but that was really, it was a personal, I'd like to think it was like personal atonement for, uh, for not playing an instrument. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, how do you pitch these projects? Cause like it's a, access, as you know, is like the hardest thing to get as a photographer it gets harder every day. Um, when you're pitching these like personal projects, like how did you kind of approach Steinway uh, about doing this project? I just, I, uh, I'm sure they get a lot of requests to go in there, but I don't think anyone had ever pitched it, uh, pitched something like, you know, I want to do a book that shows how the factory works mm-hmm. in this, in this day and age. You know, there's, there's a lot of books on Steinway. There are a lot of historical photographs, but every, every now and then it's good to kind of take a fresh look at something because people change the technologies change or or the technologies don't i mean one of the things that really blew me away was seeing we found a a trove of photographs from from 1916 of the factory and that you could side by side you could put them next to you know my photographs and very little had changed you know they, they they still rely on on manual uh techniques and craftsmanship and there's just you can't cut those corners Hmm. um so but what i've always done like with with these projects is that i i try to i I present myself in in a very professional way and i always try to have like a like a like a goal in mind and and a, a book is always something that that people can kind of rally around and and it's good for them it's good for you and there's a definitive like you know it might not be a definitive end date but there is a definitive product um, you know, you don't want to go in there and just say, I think what you do is really cool. And I just want to be let loose and do what I want. Yeah. Uh, so for some reason they, they, they went along with it, but, um, um, with the pencil factory, you know, it was kind of like the same idea, but it took five years to get in there because it's easy to make the mistake when you pitch these projects, especially if you're dealing with an older factory yeah. of, of, um, pitching it as like the last of its kind, you know, cause in, in, in the back of my head, I'm, I'm also thinking, well, I've also, I also want to try to sell this as like a story, you know, to the magazine or something. Yeah. And anytime you have last of its kind as, as a byline, that's going to raise some, you know, some interest, but, factories don't like to be seen as like as dinosaurs yeah it's like it's almost like an article being like hey we're going out of business <laughs> they don't want to hear that yeah <laughs> they don't want to hear that they don't want to hear that so that's the mistake i made with the pencil factory and when i went back there several years later and i showed them the book i was doing on steinway they they said okay we get it you're, you're not here to eulogize us you're here to celebrate what we do and and there's a way of showing what we do without kind of, you know, drawing attention to the fact that, that we're just, you know, a lot of our, the environment, the factory environment is, is old as any, as any factory is, you know, they're, they're cluttered, they're messy, you know, they're not these like pristine um, auto factories or airplane factories. Yep. So you just have to be, you have to be conscious of how, how they want to be perceived and, and just sort of, you know, mindful that, 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 uh, uh, just mindful of, of, of where they're coming from, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that they, you know, they, they, they need to stay in business and, and yeah. everyone needs a little, a, a good, some good PR. Yeah, definitely. They have pride in what they do. It kind of shows in the photos. Um, and with that project, the, the photos were amazing. Uh, how long did you shoot that project for? Was it like one day or like how, how long did you work on that pencil project for Oh, the, well, the pencil, well, when I, I actually got access, I think in 2010 and 
I started shooting it, let's say I went there maybe two times and I started shooting it with a Hasselblad because it was small, you know, but I, I did not possess the technical skill set to, to really do it justice. And then they, then they kind of said, now we don't, we really just don't feel comfortable with you here. So fast forward, you know, five years, kept in touch, showed them Steinway. Yeah. When I went back, um, I know I kind of had to start fresh and, and fortunately the factory hadn't, it still looked the same. Um, but I, I realized I needed a different approach. And I, I remember going there and, and, and just being fascinated by all these, these processes, but realizing that it was just not, in many cases, not very photogenic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it took a while. It took a while of experimentation with the lighting until I, until I got it right. And then, um, you know, and then once I, once I was happy with the, the, some of the initial results, then, then the kind of, layout like the whole it all kind of unfolded in a a pretty organic way even though it still took uh many i mean i went there probably 35 times wow um yeah yeah and and sometimes you know on a good day i i can remember when i got all those shots like those those great shots that that you know that that ran in the, the magazine or that are online like i remember i remember everything about setting those shots up and, and the way I felt after I got them. And, and a lot of times I could go there and I could, I could stage it and I could kind of like set aside a corner where I was working or get them to slow down or get them to stop working for a bit. Um, you know, I would call them up or text one of the guys, you know, what, what colors are you running? Mm-hmm. And color was everything. Cause it's, you're either dealing with graphite and charcoal, which is black or these insanely bright pastel colors. And so I couldn't change when they would produce things, but I could definitely be there on that day and slow it down just enough to get my shots, you know, but I, I always had, I, I would have those shots in mind. I think about them, you know, weeks or months. Yeah. Cause that's gotta be the tough part because they're, they're, there doing their job, but then you're trying to create these photos because the most amazing thing about them is that you get these like intricate shots and I know it isn't just like you show up snap a picture they're like you can tell you're like taking your time the composition the lighting uh that must have been the toughest part because they're trying to do their job but then it's like hey can you stop like or are they pretty open to it a lot of the time yeah they they were they were open to it because I, I you know at, at that point they had let me in and I had um, I had unlimited access. I'd go there. I'd go there anytime I want. And they knew that, that I was creating a body of work, which would which would be very good for them. Mm. So, from their standpoint, it was it was good for their marketing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, know, you can't stop all production. Um, it's just it's a pretty you know it's it's not a small scale operation, but it, it isn't like like um, on the the complete opposite end of the spectrum would be. The, uh, the the Tesla factory I photographed in, in California, yeah. you know, and, and, and for that, you, you can't stop the assembly line. Wow. The only time it's going to be stopped is when they're on break. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's, there's no slowing it down or like the, the newspaper presses, you know, once the, once the, the presses are running, I can't ask the pressman, can you slow it down or stop? Like it's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. That's a whole totally different scenario, but you know, pencils are much smaller, yeah. and the steps, the steps to make them are very, are, you know, they're 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 separate. There's there's no assembly line. You know, they bring them to different areas in the factory, and so I got to know everyone, and, and they want to help me, and you know, they just let me know when's a good time, and yeah. um, you know, we'll like we'll leave it in the oven a little longer, or we'll leave it out here, take as long as you want. You know, we don't have to start working on this batch until this afternoon, you know, or I've set aside all these color pencils for you because I knew you wanted to shoot them and, you know, we don't need to get these out yeah. uh, right now. I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing. It, it really, it really boiled down to one-on-one conversations, discussing what I wanted to do with the people and, and, you know, everyone just making it work, making it happen. That's awesome. And, you know, the thing that I really liked about the photos is obviously you're an architectural photographer, but you also shoot portraits. And I thought it was really awesome that you you included the people in the photos. Uh, it wasn't just like still life and everything. Is, is the portraiture, is that something you've always done? Is something you enjoy as much as the architectural stuff as well? I When when I get a good portrait, I feel like I'm on top of the world. Because <laughs> I, I think getting a, a portraits is so much harder than 
shooting ina- inanimate objects or buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, because with it, with a with an object, you know, a pencil detail or a, a building, you're dealing with composition. You can move things around, or with a building, you can stand in a different spot, and you're just dealing with like the lighting, you know, the weather, that kind of stuff. Um, but a portrait is just like some of those things I've shot. You know, there might be 30 different variations where they're they're breathing differently or, you know, their eyes are just slightly different. And I just think it's a, it's a lot harder to nail it. And um, it's just a challenge. It's just like one more thing to add to your toolkit. And I think it, it, the more you can do, it just makes you a better photographer. Yeah, I love it. And your your lighting approach is just like, uh, there's just like this like glow to it. I, I really like it. It's like... And the one thing I kind of always ask photographers is like, did it take you a while to kind of find your photographic style or kind of your, your, your voice, um, your, your aesthetic, I guess. Absolutely. Because if you look at like, uh, if you look at like my substation book was actually, I actually had to light a lot of that equipment, those spaces because they were just dark interiors. And then with asylum, um, I was shooting these abandoned state hospitals and, so a lot of that was outside, but a lot of it was inside, but the light inside was amazing. Yep. So, and I was working with a, a view camera and, and I, I just didn't, you know, who wants to lug around a set of lights inside mm-hmm. an empty building. And then for Steinway, I was sh- still shooting four by five and same with the textiles. And in the factories you get, you get a lot of lighting, but it's not great. Yep. And I was just still thinking about um, the photos being either about like, the process I was photographing uh, or the colors, you know, sometimes the colors are so overwhelming, especially in a textile factory that the lighting doesn't really matter. Yeah. And, and you can just use sort of what's there. But, um, but I realized like with the pencils that I, I couldn't, you know, my, my old approach to just sort of winging it, you know, using what was available, just, this wasn't going to work mm-hmm. um, because there was the background was so distracting and and I, I had a very good assistant, a uh, guy named Mike Garner, and and he would say we, we need to just keep knocking out the background. Let's just keep you know, let's just keep bumping up the shutter speed, yep. and um, you know let's just uh, take it out. Let's just keep taking out the background. And then once I once I zeroed in on that, it was like, it was like, okay, what this is what I've always wanted to do. And I I was thinking back on the you know, the Rembrandt paintings I saw that I loved and the, uh, uh, you know, Vermeer who used lighting grade, uh, but you know, the Rembrandt paintings have this, this like glow, like you don't know where the light's coming from. Mm-hmm. And there's this, uh, the Hugh Ferris renderings that I, that I loved in grad school where it was just these like magical sort of pools of light. And it's, you know, they just, it's like, where do they come from? You know? And, uh, and another guy who I, I love also is uh, this painter named Joseph Wright of Derby, who painted uh, in the 18th century Industrial Revolution. And, you know, he shows people like gathering around a forge and the forge is lit up and that's the only source of light. Mm-hmm. Um, but a big influence of mine, the most recent influence is this guy, Alfred Palmer, who is a, a New Deal era photographer yep. who worked for uh, the Farm Security Administration and then the uh, Office of War Information during the, the Second World War. And he photographed, made beautiful portraits of men and women assembling uh, airplanes, uh, worked in factories, shipyards, dams, power plants. But these shots of, of these women, especially uh, making things during the war, um, you know, he lights them in such a way that, that it's very theatrical. The background is totally dark and uh, there's this warmth and intimacy and because he's shot on color transparencies. It, they look as if they could have been made yesterday. Wow. And so I, I looked at his stuff and I'm thinking like, that's what I want to do. You know, that kind of elevating these people to this sort of heroic status and, and making it all about, like the work and finding the beauty in, in their choreography and, and the way they move and, and in, in the process. So like the photograph is not just documentation, not just, you know, presenting this is how something's made, but there's something that is like this beautiful dance going on, the relationship between the person and the machine and the work being done uh, within the, you know, the space of, of an arm's reach. 
Yeah. And, and as if it's all on a stage, you know, lit by a single light or something. And, and, you know, that took me back to my, my days as a lighting designer. So it all sort of came together when I saw this guy's work and it was just a, a perfect fit using that technique, uh, for the, for the pencil factory and, and at the times plant and sort of, you know, for my more recent work. Yeah. Um, so no, I and I'm it. still, you know, I'm still experimenting. No, I love it. And it's kind of cool to hear you kind of like look at older photos kind of for inspiration. It's kind of a smart thing to do, I think. I, I, I think it's an easy thing to do is just to look at something that, that you love and you ask yourself, well, why, why do I love it? And, and at the time when you see, you know, when I would see these, these paintings and I, I remember in grad school, I, I would put up postcards of Hugh Ferris of these renderings of buildings. And then I, I put up a Joseph Wright of Derby postcard, you know, something you pick up at a museum gift shop and it's just there for inspiration. And, and you kind of know why you like it, yeah. but you might not have a reason to sort of use it in your own work at the time, but it stays in your head. And then, you know, 20 years later, you find yourself kind of looking at a subject and thinking like, well, how am I going to do this? You know, in a way that's not just like flat and like presenting it as it is, you know, how do I, how do I make it my own? How do I transform it into something else? Mm -hmm. And and that's where it all comes together. And, and then, and then, you know, whatever you do never looks identical to what you're inspired by or trying to imitate it. It always, if you do it enough, then it, and it becomes your own style. Yeah, definitely. And what is it about, like, you seem like you really enjoy the assembly process, be it candy, pencils, uh, the New York Times. What is it about, like, the assembly process that interests you, you think? I, I've just always been interested in, in how things are made. That's that's part of what, what being an architect is. You know, you, you try to, architects put buildings together and they have to know how things work. And, and I also like to know how things how, you know, with the photographs, I'm either putting something together, showing how it's made or showing how it's made by showing it in its, you know, uh, states of assembly, you know, broken down. Uh, it's just something I've always been fascinated by. And I'm, I'm also deeply concerned about the loss of manufacturing and craftsmanship in, in this country mm. and the kind of the, you know, we, we have no connection anymore to where things are made or where they come from. And little appreciation of that or manual labor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but um, your recent piece in the New York Times magazine, The Miracle, um, which you documented the actual, the making of the paper, the New York Times paper, uh, I was kind of curious, like, how that kind of project all came together. I, uh, well, I, I, as it said in the, in the piece, I, I delivered, I didn't deliver. I sold, I sold papers on a street street corner in Boston. I was going up for two summers. That was just like one of the jobs you could always get back then. And, and, but more importantly, we live near the, the globe, the globe plant in Dorchester and you drive by this, this place and and, uh, maybe you've seen it. And there's like this one window wall where you see the ends of the presses. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I love driving by there at night and seeing that room lit up and these presses running. And it just seemed, uh, so mysterious to me, like it was like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, you know, and, and it was like, it was like part mystery and part very reassuring to know that there was one place in the city that never slept. And, you know, this is years before I had any interest in photography. Um, but about 10 years ago, or maybe 2008, I was commissioned to do this piece for this, this magazine called print magazine. And it was like a magazine about, um, you know, graphic design. And the the theme of the piece was going to be old printing processes, like that were still around in New York City mm. or in the, in, in the Northeast. And I ended up finding an old um, printing press for the Jewish press. It's a, it's a Jewish newspaper printed in Brooklyn. And they were doing their printing elsewhere, but they had left the printing press in place in this, in this, what looked like a giant garage and the last run was still in it. And I was just, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. You know, here you had this press that dated from like, you know, the 1930s or something mm. with this paper in it from 2001. And so I photographed that and, and I just, I just sort of became 
fascinated by these giant machines that, that could take this, this roll of paper called the web and run it, you know, and get thousands of copies a minute and, and do it with a lot of precision. And, and so you drive by the New York times plant all the time on, on 678. And yeah. I kept seeing this thing and I'm thinking like, God, I would, I would love to get in there and see what those modern presses look like. It would make it, it would make for a great story. Yeah. And, uh, and that took two years. That took two years to get into, even though the magazine was, was you know, vouching for me. Wow. What was the holdup? Because I mean, the New York Times, they they own it, right? Like, I mean, it is part of the same company, but the plant has their own communications yeah. department. Yeah. It, it's like its own, you know, it's its own world out there. Get it. Um, I think that I made the same mistake with them that I did with the pencil factory in that I pitched it as the last of its kind. Like, like this is a dinosaur and, you know, you're going out of business. And so you need to let me, me go in there. Mm-hmm. And I just think they were wary about how it was going to be portrayed. Mm-hmm. And if you go there now, like they are crazy busy and yeah. uh, it's not going out of business and, you know, it's doing fine. It's, it's not what it used to be, but there is still quite a market for, for printed material. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know. I mean, a lot of it boils down to someone just realizing, saying to themselves, it is easier to say no than yes. If we say no, we don't have to just deal with this guy. Yep. And it's just easy to say no. Yep. But we let two years go by, and I think uh, maybe the personnel changed, and the, the people there now are like, couldn't be more accommodating. That's awesome. So it's, like, it's like a 180, yeah. But it just it takes a lot of persistence. And uh, how long did you work on uh, shooting that uh, uh, project, I guess? I've been shooting that for, I think I started, I started in June 2017. Wow. And, and I remember my, my first tour there, where one of the pressmen showed me around, and I, I'm thinking, like, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to nail it. You know, like, I've got my, my skills are down. I'm, 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 the pencils are, like, I'm feeling good about that. And I'm going to come in here and I'm going to nail it and then give me a few trips later. And I was just, I was just like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I was freaking out and I, it just dragged on and on. And sometimes I'd take like six months off and I I just, I was dreading it. I would dread going there because I thought everything I was making was just crap. Oh really? And yeah, cause I, cause the thing is, you know, you show up there and you see something really cool. that's on the press and you take a shot with your iPhone, you're thinking like, I'll just, I'll come back to that in a couple hours, or I don't quite know how, how I shoot that, so let me just think about it. Well, by the time you think about it, it's done. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it, and it'll never exist again. The next edition might not be as colorful, or they might configure the press in a different way. They all, all these rollers where the paper you know, feeds through, and, and depending on how that's configured can, can be the difference between, you know, a mediocre shot and, and one of a kind. And so I would just keep missing the mark. I mean, and it was just so frustrating and and you can't slow things down there. Um, so I, I really, I really struggled with that. And to, to make matters worse, every time you walk into the plant, you, you, you pass through this long hall and this hallway is lined with these large prints of the plant from 1950 when it was, in the basement of the old New York Times building on 43rd Street. Yeah. And so these are shots that could be right out of a Hollywood movie. Like you've got the guys with the white, you know, they make the, the caps out of the newspaper print. They've got the the, the, the chambray shirts on rolled mm. up. They've got the, the bell-bottom dungarees, uh, the black shoes. They, they look like, you know, sailors or something. Yeah. And... It, it is just, it's like very film noir and very dramatically lit and, and the, the, the pictures are taken sort of at angles, weird angles, but the machinery is so much more robust. Everything is exposed and all of the, the stuff, the guts of the presses. The gears and everything. Yeah. yeah, you can see that. And these guys are like climbing all over it. And they still do that, but, but the presses now are like, you know, they're, they're, they're state of the art. And so everything's enclosed yep. and I would just walk by, I'd walk by these, these photos, these prints every time I would go in there and I'd say, I'd say to myself, today's the day I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to nail it. I'm <laughs> going to get the shot. 
And I, I'll tell you, invariably, I would walk out, sometimes empty-handed. Yep. I would just wander around, and I would just look at these prints, and I would say, I, I just I can't do this. Like, yeah. This is just... So it took 40, 40 trips. Um, yeah. And I, I was... Uh, the, the magazine was like, you know, we want to see what you're doing, show us. And I, I kept putting it off. And then when I did show it to them, they liked, they liked it. And just having someone else see it, and appreciate it. And they said they want to do a special edition. And that was a, a validation, like, okay, I'm, I, I'm not a failure. <laughs> you know, other people like are, appreciate it because they're, they're not as, um, you know, as close to it. They can see it a little more objectively. And, and that gave me, you know, huge encouragement to kind of keep going with it. Yeah. That's like, uh, it's like the interesting thing about photography is like, you can have an idea in mind and like how you want to execute something, but sometimes it just doesn't work for whatever reason. And the thing I was going to ask you is like, how do you know when to like keep pushing through those tough times? And then when do you know when it's just not working and to abandon a project or how do you kind of deal with those challenges? I guess. I, uh, there, there aren't many projects that, that, that I've just outright abandoned, but, I, I guess the ones that I abandon are the ones that aren't that I that I think either are not yielding beautiful pictures yep. or that, that just don't interest me. You know, there's there's uh, um, there are a few things that I that I struggle with, and and I realize well, you know, in, in, in a few years back or if I was younger or whatever, I wouldn't mind the physical demands of this. Yeah. And then when I think about, well, what is the real reason why I don't want to work on this? And it's because it's just maybe it's not technically challenging or it's just not, I'm not learning anything from it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not pushing me. And I, and I know that I know from experience that I won't get pictures that really build on the work that I've done. Like they're just going to be kind of repeating what I've already done. Yeah. Um, there are a few things that, that come to mind where I've tried, I try to jumpstart them every year. And then as soon as I go back out, I say, this is why I know, you know, I should just let it be, you know, and maybe it's just, there's too much poison ivy, you know, and I don't want to deal with <laughs> pigs around poison ivy, but, but a, a, lo- a lot of times, um, I, you know, I'm always asking myself that. And, and I think the, the, the real reason why I might give up on, on a project is because, I realize the photos are more just about surface and yep. they don't, they don't tell you how something works. Mm. There's not like this story. There's not a narrative there. It's, it's just like, it would just be like taking a picture of a building facade, yep. you know, doing a project on, on building facades. Um, I, I thought for a long time about doing, um, you know, maybe like a project on all the fire stations in New York city. And, and there are these, you know, so many beautiful facades, but I said, to really do it, you have to get into the fire stations and show how that all works. And yet, you know, how, you know, it just seems like either too much trouble or stuff similar to what I've done before. But I I like things that, that where I can go into one place and I can show how something works in a way that no one's ever seen it like that before yeah it's like you break down um, every last square inch of it that's like the coolest thing is like i keep going back to the pencil thing but it's like you really this like a lot of people could just go in there and take some like wide angle photo of the factory and maybe a couple portraits but you like broke it down to like the the most minute detail and that's like the most interesting i think that's probably why people are kind of drawn to it you know well that's 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 something i i, I use as a, as a as a measure um like when I'm shooting, like with the pencils, with Steinway, uh, with the printing plant, I want those photos. I want each photo to relate to the whole, but also they should stand on their own as, as this, as a, as a, uh, a symbol, as a, you know, as, as the, as a representation of that place, like totally unique. So like when you look at one of my piano photographs or my pencil photographs, that pencil, it might not be a finished pencil, but you know that what you're looking at is a pencil mm-hmm. and that that photograph can only be made in that place. Yeah. And so by using that kind of criteria, you know, to edit and evaluate your work and to choose what to shoot, and what not to shoot, I can get rid of all those wide angle shots that just so the regular factory, um, I can, 
I can, I don't have to deal with a whole bunch of stuff, which is a little more generic, mm-hmm. generically industrial. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, definitely, man. I think you have your unique perspective perspective i think as a photographer that's the hardest thing to find so when anybody has a unique perspective that it kind of sets you apart from what everyone else is doing you know yeah yeah, yeah. and i think in this thing is you really have to have your own your own style your your, your brand and uh um and that look i mean i've had people that the biggest compliment i get is when someone says you know i saw your work and and i didn't know who it was but i i said i knew it was you yeah. I mean, that's, and I don't see it, you know, I don't look at it and say, oh, that's definitely me, but, but it's just nice to have that kind of validation. It's just, yeah. you know, for, for all the, for all the failures and, and hardships, like I know that at least I'm moving in, in, the, in the right direction. Mm. Um, but I, I, you know, but I, I think, I think using that kind of like uh, uh, evaluative system where I'm, I'm saying, can this subject, this scene that I'm photographing, can this exist anywhere else or is, does this really sum up what this place is, you know, or a particular moment in, in the process of manufacture or, or something that's very unique to that place. And I think if, by using that, it just, it allows me to just not photograph every square inch of a place. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And uh, a couple more questions. I'll let you go. Um, sure. We're kind of talking about that. Like, have you ever had a, a moment like being photography, as you know, is such a competitive uh, business and there's so many photographers out there these days. Uh, have you ever had moments where you doubted yourself as a photographer and how do you kind of deal with those times where, you know, business might be slow? How do you kind of get through those uh, rough patches? I guess what keeps you going? I, I have, I doubt it every day. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, every day is like, a, like it's like a mini roller coaster. And, and just as I'm getting to feel good about myself, I, I see some other work, which is just like, I'll say, you know, what's the point? Um, you know, but then I, then I realize like each, each person has their own style. And, and as my, uh, as my assistant friend, Mike Garner said, you know, you have to do good work and expect nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and I realize that at the core, you have to shoot what you love. Yep. And if, if you're trying, if you're chasing after what other people are doing and trying to emulate them, then you're really not being true to yourself. And fortunately, I, I, you know, I know what I like to shoot and, and that gets me into interesting places that, you know, that, that not many people have seen. And, and then within those environments, I can, I can work on my style and I can challenge myself. And, but, uh, but I'm always looking for, I always, I, I have like a, you know, in my head, I, I have, projects of other photographers you know kind of filed away that i use as, as reference you know mm. i'm thinking like well what well how would this guy shoot that you know or yeah. um i have a, a mentor this guy named joe elliott who showed me a lot and, and he photographed the, the bethlehem steel plant and he has a book out on that and and these beautiful power plants in um um in philadelphia and i always like say to myself well how would how would joe do this you know mm. and it just kind of you know kind of checks you makes makes you kind of not fall as easily into your own cliches and like patterns of doing something. Yeah. Not smart. Um, Yeah. And, and then in grad school, I was around my fellow students were way more talented than me. (laughs) Um, I mean, everything I did in grad school pretty much sucked. (laughs) And, and just being around people who were like just farther along and, and different and they excelled at other things. And, you know, I didn't know I couldn't, see what I was good at, but, you know, being around other talented people is, is just, it's, that's great. You know, you don't want to be the top of the hill. You yeah. Know? And it's like then where, where you have to go from there, you know, you always want to wake up and, and that sense of insecurity is, is just, it's like a little light to fire on your ass, you know, to think that you can do better. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's how you get better. Yeah. Like you never be satisfied just keep pushing, you keep getting better as a photographer, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I was as I was telling a friend the other day, you know, a lot of people like they they wonder should I should I go into this whatever, and a lot of a lot of people don't follow through because for whatever they get distracted or they don't have the confidence. But you've you've got to love the process, mm-hmm. and and I love that more than anything. I mean, if I can do anything, I'll be out there shooting. You know, yeah. I, more than more than being at a gallery show or, or a book signing or a lecture, you know, those are all fun too, but I love to shoot. I love being in that creative moment where you 
where you lose track of time, where you, you forgot when you last ate, you know, where you, for, you forget when you last went to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> and, and you're just, you're in the moment, you're in the moment of, of creation. And, and once you get a taste of that, you don't, you know, you don't want to stop. Yeah, it's not, it's not a job. It's like an addiction. It's like you you got to like get that next good photo. You know, it's just like, and at least for me, I don't know about you, but it's like anytime I have a photo I'm proud of, maybe I like it for about two days and then I'm like, ah, oh, what do I got to do next to get the get the next like good photo, you know? Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's uh, and architects will be the same way. I think they asked Frank Lloyd right once, like what his favorite project was and he said the next one. Yeah. And, and you know, you ask when you, when you hear actors interviewed, um, and, and, you, you know, they're, they're talking to like someone who's super famous and, and you realize just how much these people like to work. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times it doesn't matter what they're working on. They just, they want to work. They want to, they want to hone and practice their craft. And I, you know, I, I feel the same way. Um, it, it, as much fun as it is, as it is to, to write about your, your work or to think about it or, to, you know, work in Photoshop and, and lay things out, like ultimately, the, 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 I think the, the most pure, purest moments of joy come when you're you're in the moment and, and you're, you're you're working through something and you realize it's it, it has the possibility of being something great, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And you, you know, you kind of mentioned it. I didn't realize it, but you said you photographed the Tesla factory, and I was kind of curious. What's what's the difference between photographing the Tesla factory, which is like the height of technology these days, and then photographing like a pencil factory, which has been around for a hundred years? Are there any similarities still, or what's the biggest difference you think from those two companies? I guess? Um, yeah, that's that's an excellent question. So, so, the, so the, the pencil factory is located in in Jersey City on a on a small street. On a small residential street, you you drive by and you wouldn't even notice it. Yeah. And the Tesla factory, like like a lot of those big factories, like it, it's an entire campus. You know, it feels like a city. Mm-hmm. And it's in sunny California. And I I remember going out there and I got off the plane, rented a car, went straight to the factory on a tour, and it is just enormous. Mm-hmm. And you drive it around in, in a golf cart, and everything you see is photogenic, mm-hmm. and it it doesn't really need anything like maybe you could use a little lighting but the the forms and and seeing the cars in in various states and and the repetition of of things of of parts and people and all the sort of like activity that's going on i i was like i don't i barely slept that night Mm. um i was so inspired and excited and yet when i got there the next day 95% 95% of what I wanted to photograph was not allowed. Yeah, oh, that's tough. Yeah, so we're, we're walking around. I'm walking around with the, uh, you know, with, with the communications woman, um, and I'm pointing at things, and she'd check with her boss, and she'd say, no, no, we, we, we can't shoot that. So basically, everything I shot there was like what everyone else had shot. Mm. And it was frustrating, you know, to have no control over... Um, your environment, whereas in the pencil factory, yes, it might be old and cluttered and and gritty, but and you know not bright and clean. But I have total control, and and I'll take that any day of the week. Having control over that environment and working with people who want you there, yep. versus being like you know perceived as a as a as a security risk, yep. uh, where, where you can't manipulate. And and that's that's another way I've come to evaluate whether or not you know, to take on something is sort of how much these, the, the owners want you there. And yeah. if they're willing to let you do what you want, then, you know, you know, the sky's the limit. But, yeah. but yeah. If, if there are security concerns, then, then you're just going to be doing, you know, producing work that everyone else has, has already seen. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this, man. And um, I guess this is my last question. Um, you've been doing photography for a while now. Any goals for the future? Anything you're hoping to work on um, going forward, I guess? Uh, I would say I, I still finding, trying to trying to continue to hone my, hone my style and, and maybe start shooting things that are uh, getting back to kind of some more large format scale work. Uh, the things I've been shooting recently, you know, the, the presses, that was kind of the inside. The pencils were small, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, photographing some really big industrial spaces and, and trying to, uh, to make those photos, you know, my own 
um, taking on things that are uh, a challenge, you know, stylistically, you know, trying to, to not so much reinvent the wheel, but just reinterpret it. Nice. Well, I look forward to seeing it. And for uh, people listening, where's the best place to check out your work? Uh, my website, uh, Instagram, chrispainphoto.com. I'm not quite sure what the, uh, uh, what my Instagram handle is. Oh, I think but, I, got, I think I got it right here. I think it's Chris Payne Photo. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll link it in the description. People can go check it out. Um, but yeah. uh, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to do this, man. It was a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. It's a huge honor always to uh, speak to people who are interested in, in what I'm doing. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I actually wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. It's a really great tool when you need to send off those big files to your clients you're working with. It was actually designed by a photographer, so they really had photographers in mind when they designed it. I've been using it for a few weeks now and really enjoy it. Uh, it's kind of helped me keep my uh, photos all organized in one spot um, when I need to send them off to my clients. And my clients can actually write notes on the photos and rate them. And just a really easy way to communicate with your clients and keep everything organized in one spot uh, i can't say enough about it for years i was just using like dropbox and we transfer but with pick drop uh, they really went the extra mile um, being that the photographers they know what you need um, so i can't say enough about it and actually with today's podcast you're actually going to get three months free when you use the promo code photo banter when you sign up at pickdrop.com um, so definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think and remember to use the promo code photo banter and you'll get three months free at pickdrop.com and also this need to give a big thank you to our guest christopher payne um, such an amazing photographer um, so definitely go check out his work lots of cool projects he, he has up on his website uh, his website is christopherpainephoto.com as well as his instagram at Christopher Payne Photo. Uh, so definitely give that a look and uh, give him a follow. I, like I said, I'm just such a big fan of his work and can't thank him enough. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spot, Spotify, uh, as well as Stitcher now, um, and also on my website at alexgagnephoto.com and on my Instagram at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening and take care.